and further along, the second step, a 100-foot bluff that would have to be scaled. Though concerned about Irvine's lack of experience, Norton had done nothing to alter the composition of the team. Mallory was a man possessed. A veteran of all three British expeditions, he knew Everest better than anyone alive. Two days later, on the morning of June 8th, Mallory and Irvine set out from their high camp for the summit. The bright light of dawn gave way to soft shadows as luminous banks of clouds passed over the mountain. Noel Odell, a brilliant climber in support, last saw them alive at 12.50pm, faintly from a rocky crag, two small objects moving up the ridge. As the mist rolled in, enveloping their memory in myth, he was the only witness. Mallory and Irvine would not be seen or heard from again. Their disappearance would haunt a nation and give rise to the greatest mystery in the history of mountaineering. Never did Odell doubt that they reached the summit before meeting their end, nor did he question the sublime purpose that had led them all to cross hundreds of miles on foot from India and across Tibet just to reach the base of the mountain. Odell wrote of his two lost friends, My final glimpse of one whose personality was of that charming character that endeared him to all and whose natural gifts seemed to indicate such possibilities of both mind and body was that he was going strong, sharing with that other fine character who accompanied him such a vision of sublimity that it has been the lot of few mortals to behold. Few, while beholding, have become merged into such a scene of transcendence. Chapter 1. Great Gable On the very day that George Mallory and Sandy Irvine disappeared on Everest, another party of British climbers slowly made their way to the summit of a quite different mountain and in very different circumstances. At 2,949 feet, Great Gable was not a serious or difficult climb, but it was said to be the most completely beautiful of English mountains. It anchored the fells of Cumbria, and from its summit could be seen a dozen or more of the rounded hills and rocky crags of the Lake District, where so many English climbers had first discovered the freedom of open space and the feel of wind and rain and sleet on cold hands jammed into cracks of granite and slate. There were some eighty men and women in this solemn party, most of them members of the Fell and Rock Climbing Club, a loose association founded in 1906 and dedicated exclusively to the celebration of the English hills. Among them was the club secretary, Leslie Somerville, whose brother Howard was then with the Everest expedition, and Arthur Wakefield, club president since 1923. Wakefield had served as medical officer on the 1922 Everest expedition, and had been the first to rush to the relief of the climbers swept away by the avalanche on the North Col that buried alive seven Sherpa porters. Death was something he knew well. The most prominent figure on Great Gable this day was Geoffrey Winthrop Young, who brought up the rear, supported by his wife Len, as he struggled over boulders and wet stones in rain so fierce it swept the cape from his back. Considered by many to be the greatest English mountaineer of his era, Young was the mentor of Mallory, 
and had been responsible for both Mallory and Wakefield securing invitations to join the Everest expeditions. This was his first climb since losing his left leg to an Austrian shell on the night of August 31, 1917, at Mont Saint-Gabriel while serving on the Isonzo front in Italy. In time, he would summit the Matterhorn with a prosthetic limb of his own design. But for the moment, it was all he could do to keep his balance and move steadily up the slope toward the others. A gifted Georgian poet and fine orator, he was here at Wakefield's invitation to help dedicate a bronze plaque inscribed with the names of those members of the FRCC who had been lost in the war, and to consecrate in their memory a tract of some three thousand acres purchased by the survivors and gifted by them to the nation as a living memorial. The actual deeds of the land had been presented by Wakefield to a representative of the National Trust several months before, on October 13, 19...